There's a difference between what something costs and what something is worth. I just saw a painting just this past week, one of Picasso's painting, The Busted Dead Femi. Now, if I didn't know that was Picasso, I would have thought some third grader painted that. <laughs> to create, it couldn't have cost Picasso much, but the return on investment was enormous. Do you know how much this painting sold for? $68 million. There's something else that costs a lot and is worth more than anything else in this world. It has been signed, sealed, and delivered by the death, the burial, and yes, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Welcome to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. When you and I come to grips with the value of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, the book of Revelation in the Bible goes into great detail about what the reaction will be of those who truly understand its worth. And this week, Charles Tapp continues with part 12 of this series, Christ First, a journey through the book of Revelation as he examines chapter five of Revelation with his message, signed, sealed, and delivered. In our last message in this series, we see John as he is in vision, as he is being allowed to get a glimpse of glory. It is a view which John is allowed to see only because in his vision there is a door that is open that enables him visual access to the very throne of God. Look at it in Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 and verse 2. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this, meaning after the messages to the seven churches. Immediately, he says, I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one set on the throne. As we said earlier in our last message, it is important that John is able to see the throne of heaven through an open door. Open doors in scripture are symbolic of the opportunities that God gives you and me to enter into deeper relationship with him. We see this very clearly in Revelation chapter three and verse 20, where Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man hears my voice and open the door, I will come in with him and he with me. Please don't miss this. For each time Jesus used this phrase in the gospel, as well as through the book of Revelation when he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. It is symbolic of the invitation to open the doors of our hearts and to allow God the unimpeded full access that he deserves and desires to have in our lives. In verse 21 of chapter three of Revelation, this idea expanded even further. Look at it, Revelation chapter three, verse 21. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne 
as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Please don't miss this today. For there is a direct connection to the door of Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20 where Jesus desires to gain interest, entrance and the open door that John sees which allows him to have a visual access to the very throne of God. And unless you and I, dear friends, allow Jesus Christ to come into our lives to open that door so that we can have the access that he desires, we will never be able to walk through that door that leads to the throne room of God. But when John looks through this door, he says, I see 24 elders, not angels, sitting on 24 thrones. And because these elders are clothed in white robes, symbolizing the righteousness of Christ, and because they wear the crown of victory on their heads, these 24 elders are symbolic of the redeemed. They are symbolic of those who have won the victory, not a victory through their own righteousness, not a victory based on their own works, but a victory that is based on the fact that they have been redeemed by Jesus Christ and his blood on the cross. But what in my mind is so sad about this entire scenario is despite that many of us refuse to, to grant Christ the full unimpeded access into our lives that he desires, this same Jesus, as he tells the church at Philadelphia, I can open any door, and once I've opened it, you can't close it, and if I close a door, you can't open it, but here's one door he cannot open. It is the door that leads to our hearts. He will not force his way into your life. All he does is knock, and every time you hear his word preached, he is knocking. Every time you read the word of God, he is knocking. Every time you hear a Christian song in worship or driving in your car, Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart, at my heart. But yet in spite of this, Jesus continues to extend to us, to you and to me, to knock at his door with the assurance that when we knock at his door, he will open the door. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Let's read it quickly. He says, ask and it will what? Be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. Verse 8, for everyone, not some of you, but everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be open. I may not always open the heart to my door, the door to my heart, but God always opens his door when you and I knock. And now we move in a new direction here in this throne room scene as we look at Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 to 3. And this is where everything in Revelation begins to pick up. Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 to 3, and I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? Verse 3, 
and no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look at it. Please don't miss these three points here. For here is the introduction now of a scroll, not just any scroll, but a scroll that is in the right hand of God, sealed, John says, with seven seals. Then we have a strong angel who is powerless to open the seals, so he cries out, is there anybody who can open the scroll? And finally, we are told that no one could be found in heaven, earth, even under the earth, that could open this scroll. First of all, in ancient times, a scroll was usually some important legal document. Scrolls to the first century Christian believer would mean scripture or those that were read in the synagogue worship. And it was God's written word which served as a revelation, first of all, of who God is, and secondly, of who he desires to be in the lives of his people. Even as we read the word today, that's exactly what it is. As I tell my students here on the campus of Washington Adventist University, one of the greatest revelations of who God is, is in his word. And the scroll was just that. It was a revelation. So here now, we have a double revelation, a revelation within the book of Revelation. And you and I can never truly come to grips as to who God is unless God decides to be the one to reveal himself. And that's why when God does reveal who he is, whether it's through his word or whether it's through nature or whether it's through his son, it is an act of grace on the part of God. That's why I said at the very beginning of this series, this series is a revelation of Jesus Christ. So the book of Revelation, please don't miss this, is a book of grace because it reveals the God of grace. But the strange thing about this revelation, this scroll, is that it is sealed not with one, but with seven seals, which by the way, was not something that was uncommon in John's day, because with important documents, a seal impression was made by a signet or by a ring, which would serve as a signature. Then this scroll was then rolled up and sealed, usually with wax blobs of, of clay, and then he would stamp his signature or his ring on it to prevent tampering to this document. And these seals usually have the name of the one who wrote what was in the scroll. And of course, seven seals, seven representing the number of completeness, the number representing fruitfulness, and the number of perfection. Secondly, verse 2 says that even a strong angel could not open the scroll. And when I read that, and I've read it many times, but this is the first time it really hit me, I was under the impression that all angels, Johnson, had supernatural power. But yet this strong angel was not strong enough to open this scroll. And lastly, we know that no one on the face of the earth could do it. Now look at what happens in Revelation chapter 5, verses 4 to 7. It takes a very interesting twist. So John says, so I wept because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. 
But one of the elders said to me, talking about one of the 24 elders, those representing the redeemed, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals, verse 6. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been what? Slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out to all the earth. And it's not literally seven spirits, but again, seven represents perfection, completeness, fruitfulness. It means the full power of God's spirit. Then, verse 7, he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Please don't miss this. John's revelation here in verse 4, because no one was able to open the scroll, John says, I began to weep. And I thought about that. What would cause John to weep? Because the scroll could not be opened. If you look out through the rest of the book of Revelation, you'll discover that this scroll contained the mystery of the salvation of all humankind and the fulfillment of that salvation. And as long as the scroll remained sealed, man's fate was still up in the air. But before John could continue in his despair, there is an interruption that is made. How many of you have ever watched television? You're watching something that you really are into and all of a sudden the news breaks in and says, we have an important announcement we're going to interrupt your regularly scheduled programming. That ever happened to you? Not much on television is any good this day, these days, but. And here's this announcement. The announcement is this, that there is one who is worthy. There's one who is worthy to open the scroll, and it is clear from the names and the titles used here to describe this worthy one that this person who was able to open the scroll is none other than Jesus himself the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And finally, it says, Jesus takes the scroll from his father's right hand, symbolizing omnipotent power, because now there is a shift in dominion. No longer does Satan rule, but Christ is king. Christ has kingdom. Christ has reigned because he is about to take his rightful place and now here we are the scroll has been signed the scroll has been sealed and finally finally the scroll has been delivered signed sealed and delivered now, besides this being a title of one of my favorite songs by Stevie Wonder, you don't know anything about that? Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> don't perpetrate this morning now. Some of you probably have it on your playlist even to this day. Signed, sealed, and delivered is an idiomatic expression which means that the important transaction or the important deal has been completed and it has been completed satisfactorily. And the message here is this, 
that the transaction of the purchasing of your salvation and my salvation has been signed, it has been sealed, and it has been delivered. Who says amen to that today? It has been signed, sealed, and delivered by the death, the burial, and yes, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What is made clear throughout the remainder of chapter 5 of Revelation is that what makes Christ worthy to be the one who is able to open the seal is that he has paid the price for humanity's salvation with his own blood as he hung upon the cross. You're listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, Signed, Sealed, and Delivered. And if you're enjoying this message or you'd like to find others like it, you can find out more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. We'll conclude with the rest of his message right after this. Man, when I think about WGTS, I think about family. And uh, WGTS lifts me up. The whole crew has truly been a blessing in my life. And um, I'm forever grateful for WGTS and what they do for myself and for the community. support makes a difference. I always uh, encourage people, like, you want to listen to something, be encouraged when you're going through a tough time, starting 91.9, um, they are definitely up with the spirits. And uh, especially in the trying time we're in right now in society. Working together to impact the nation's capital. We are family. And I am forever grateful for, for the WGS family because that's exactly what it is, family. And we get to be a part of that as listeners, which is is amazing. Listener funded. WGTS 91.9. Always encouraging. At 88.3 on the Eastern Shore. This is Simple Truths for Life. And this week, Charles Tapp explains the value of Jesus' sacrifice and what the book of Revelation says will be the reaction of those who truly understand its worth. As he continues with the rest of his message, signed, sealed, and delivered. Some of you may not be aware that not only did I study theology while in college, but I also got a degree in accounting. So the mere fact that I stayed five years wasn't because I was dumb. (laughs) Amen? Thank you. But it was because I had a double major, so I graduated with a double major. I majored in theology, and I also majored in accounting. And I spent many nights, Larry, you know, how we used to do those practice sets. I think I even came to you one day for help. Stayed up till 3 a.m. in the morning trying to find five, trying to find five cents. I couldn't find it. You know. But one of the things I learned from studying accounting is that there is a difference between cost and worth. Cost being what you actually paid for something, what, what it actually took to put it together. Worth is how you value that thing. You see this in art, paintings all the time. I just saw a painting just this past week, one of Picasso's painting, The Busted de Femme. Now, if I didn't know that was Picasso, and I'm sorry for those of you who Uh, listening on the radio, you can't see this. I would have thought some third grader painted that. Right? If I didn't tell you that was Picasso and you just looked at it, what would you think? It probably cost about some crayons or some, or some, some paint and maybe about $10 total to put. Do you know how much this painting sold for, Kate? 
$68 million. Some of you tonight, when you go home, you're going to pull out your crayons and you're going to get, <laughs> oh, I know, I know, I know. I'm right there with you. $68 million for that. There's a difference between cost and worth of something that someone values. I love commercials. There's this one commercial, this credit card company, and they, they just really explain this principle as clear as it can be. You'll see the scene come on the television screen and you'll see them flash on the screen something like airline tickets, $1,500. Rent a car for the weekend, $500. Hotel rooms for two days, $300. Showing up at your only child's college graduation, priceless. It cost about $2,400 to attend the graduation, but it was worth, please don't miss this, a whole lot more. So I decided to go on the internet. Thank God for Google. Man, I wish they had Google when I was growing up. I just wish they had the internet. I just wish they had laptops. I decided to check out the price of a Roman cross, what it would take to build a Roman cross. For the lumber, around $300. For the spikes, the nails, the three nails driven through Christ's hands and his feet, about $150. The crown of thorns that he wore around his head, that was free. The value of receiving our salvation, priceless. Priceless. Didn't cost that much for the materials. But what it gained for you and me is priceless. Look at this quotation. Christian writer Thomas Brooks says, our sins are debts that no one can pay but Christ. It is not our tears, but his blood. It is not our sighs, but his sufferings that can testify for our sins. And I love this last sentence. He says, Christ must pay all or we are prisoners forever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures and all the thousands of angels who were in that throne room at the time, they got that. That's why it says in the rest of the book of Revelation, they cried out, he is worthy, he is worthy, he is worthy. And the 24 elders would bow on their knees and take their crowns and lay them at Jesus' feet. And I thought about that, I said, you know what? When you and I fully come to grips with the value of Christ's sacrifice on the cross that obtained our salvation, you won't have to manufacture praise in our lives. Praise will be a reflex response. Read Revelation chapter 5. They are shouting. He is worthy, he is worthy, he is worthy. Why? Because they get the worth. 
hate going to churches when they try to manufacture praise. So they play the music louder and, you know, trying to get you to, trying to hate it. Praise shouldn't be orchestrated or manufactured. Praise comes from the life that understands the worth, the value of the sacrifice that Jesus made. And the greatest praise that you and I can give God is not with our lips, but it's with our lives. Once you come to the understanding, and I come to understanding that our salvation is in Christ, it is signed, it has been sealed, and it has been delivered, we can't help but to do anything but want to live a life that is pleasing to God. Who says amen to that today? Father God, those 24 elders represent us, the redeemed, and they recognize that it wasn't their works that saved them. It wasn't their righteousness, but it was your righteousness. And that's the lesson you want your people to get today. It's not our righteousness that will save us. There's no praise in that. There's only praise in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So, Father, we humble ourselves before you today. We're not perfect. We're anything but. But our salvation in you has been signed, it has been sealed, and it has been delivered. The transaction has been carried out satisfactorily through your death, your burial, and your resurrection. So, Father, we glorify your name today. And may we do this not just with our lips, but may we glorify you with our lives. I'm just wondering today, is there one who wants to say, Jesus is worthy, and I want to give him my life? I want you to just stand to your feet wherever you are, in the balcony or below. God bless you, my sister. Is there anyone else, if you're worshiping online with us today, you have our information on our website. We invite you to reach out to us, and we will respond. Father God, we thank you for the transaction for our salvation. It has been signed by Jesus. It has been sealed by his blood and it has been delivered to him to grant to us. Thank you, Father, for you alone are worthy. May we recognize and never forget the worth of that great sacrifice. And may we do everything from this moment forward so that we can govern our lives in a way that you find pleasing, not worrying about what man thinks but only what you think. Keep us, Lord, we pray, for we cannot keep ourselves. And may we demonstrate our faithfulness in every aspect of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, Signed, Sealed, and Delivered. And if you want to listen again or share it with someone, you can find these messages on platforms like Apple Podcasts and now also on Spotify. Or visit us online at simpletruthsforlife.org. Now here's what we're working on for next week. 
John the Revelator is being shown here throughout this story in the book of Revelation, that even though things in the church, there are some difficult days ahead for the people of God, that God's people will still win out if we're faithful. Tears are just one of the many ways God has given us to express ourselves. And next week, Charles Tapp continues with part 13 of this series, Christ First, a journey through the book of Revelation by looking at one of the most gut-wrenching yet comforting verses found in Revelation with his message, Come and See. Jesus came here for you. No matter what your skin color is. Jesus came here for you if you're Republican, Democrat, neutral, don't know or don't care, or any political party. Jesus came for the far left and the far right, or if you're somewhere in between. Jesus came for the person who cut you off in traffic. Jesus came for the homeless, the poor, the middle class, and the rich. Jesus came for love. Love. Jesus came for you and for all his children. We're here to remind you of that. WGTS 91.9. Always encouraging. And 88.3 on the Eastern Shore. Man, when I think about WGTS, I think about family. And uh, WGTS lifts me up. The whole crew has truly been a blessing in my life. And um, I'm forever grateful for WGTS and what they do for myself and for the community. Support makes a difference. I always uh, encourage people. Like, you want to listen to something, be encouraged when you're going through a tough time. Starting at 91.9, um, they are definitely up with the spirits. And uh, especially in the trying time we're in right now in society. Working together to impact the nation's capital. We are family. And I am forever grateful for, for the WGS family because that's exactly what it is family. And we get to be a part of that as listeners, which is, which is amazing. Listener funded. WGTS 91.9. Always encouraging. At 88.3 on the Eastern Shore.